0: Welcome to the Grow Strong Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I interview business leaders who are committed to their own growth and the development of everyone on their team. If you enjoy my podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for joining me today. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. And you are in for a treat today because I have one of my favorite people with me, someone who enriches my life every time we have a conversation. And that is Mark J. Silverman. Mark, welcome to my show today.
1: You know, I've interviewed you twice. This is the second time you're interviewing me, maybe the third time you're interviewing me. Uh, so we, we just make an excuse to actually spend time together.
0: Right. Well, in fact, I was going to mention that I did interview you for episode 111. And in that conversation, we focused on the topic of overwhelm. And you shared tips from your wonderful book that I highly recommend to everyone called Only Tens, version 2.0. And I highly recommend to my listeners that you check out that episode, because we're not really going to be talking about those topics in our conversation today, I invited Mark back, not just because I love talking to him, which I do, but also because he's been working on a project that has now been released, and it's called Rising Leaders. It's a full program, it's his podcast, and it evolved from his work in high-tech Startups where he helped bring in over $90 million in revenue over a period of years. And during the sales, he was involved in working with C suite executives, the technology folks, and it was complex multi million dollar sales that he was helping to pull off. And so he has this amazing experience in this what you might call hustle and grind culture along with the challenges of working with C-suite executives. So this experience that he had as a salesperson and also as a sales manager helped him prepare for what he does now, which is coaching executives, facilitating programs, and I'm always amazed when I hear about the impact mark that you've had on your clients the stories you've shared that I hope you'll share with us today because you really do have a gift for working with these kinds of leaders in a way that you don't you know you don't take any stuff off of them because you know where they're coming from and yet you guide them in a way that helps them create their own awareness. And what I love about your new program is the way you help them think about all the different areas. And so let's just start out today by having you briefly describe what is it that really caused you to create this Rising Leaders program? What were you seeing, experiencing with clients?
1: It was it was more at a necessity for myself. And by the way, thank you for that introduction. I love hearing myself through your eyes that... Uh, that made me feel really good. Uh, for me, you know, for the past two years, my my private practice, my one-on-one clients have I've, it's been full, and I've had a waiting list. And I'm getting, you know, I'm getting kind of old, and trying to figure out, you know, how do I scale my business? How do I how do I make it so that if I get hit by a bus, you know, I'm not flat broke because I can't coach. So we t- started talking about group programs. And we looked about looked at group programs around my book, Only Tens, around Mastering Overwhelm, uh, and the things that I was out in public doing, and nothing came to fruition. I just couldn't actually bring it to something that I wanted to do. And my friend, Helen Appleby, who you, you have met, um, said, you know, Mark, why don't you do what you do for a living all day, every day, which is coach executives and coach coach those those high achievers those people who have been promoted so fast that their leadership skills haven't had an opportunity to catch up. Uh, why don't you do something around that? And I was trying to figure it out. I'm like, I wouldn't know how to codify what I do because it it feels like magic. It feels like something very amorphous. So we sat down and we spent some time and codified what it is I actually do, and it came out it came to fruition that what I actually do is I start helping them with their relationship with their superiors, with the CEO. So it's usually in the C-suite. It's usually VPs or above. Uh, and we started working on that relationship. And it's funny because I usually don't get hired by my clients directly. I don't get client hired by even HR. It's usually a CEO who calls and says, I have someone who's super talented, really amazing but they need this leadership skill. They're either a bull in a china closet or they don't speak up in meetings uh, or th- I need them to be a trusted advisor and I need them to speak you know, truth to me. So we start with leading up. And then we started looking at that I help them lead on a group of peers, leading across and really help with those relationships and turn that into a cohesive team. Then of course, there's leading their people and their team. But all this kind of culminates in leading. So we use the fodder of your relationships with your superiors, your relationships with your peers, your relationships with the people who work for you and in your personal life to actually build the kind of person who can be successful. Because the reason I got into this in the first place was because I couldn't stand seeing what happened to people with the, the, the agreement, the silent agreement we made to be in the 1% to, you know, kill our, our health, our relationships, you know, all for the almighty dollar. And I, you know, Mm -hmm. that has evolved to these leadership skills, but as you know, it's only interesting to me as long as it leads to the person having a more fulfilling whole and sustainable life.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I love those four areas that you cover. And I'm curious, when you actually get hired to work with someone, which of those do you start with?
1: And that—that's the controversy because you would think it would be leading yourself. Like, let's work on ourselves and then go out. I, it, for me, that doesn't give immediate results. I'd rather use real-world events. So, what—what what triggered you about your boss? What did the CEO say to you that—that that sent you in a tailspin? Or how are you approaching that relationship? What's going on on the on the leadership team, and where are you bumping heads? When we start to actually work with leading up and working with the, the CEO, it—it it, the reflection is is the first order of business. So we start with the CEO, plus that's more bang for the buck because when the CEO calls a month or two later and says, what have you done with so-and-so? Oh my God, they're a different person. I'm like, the person who needed to hear, see the ship saw the ship. So it's a little selfish on my part too because I love getting that phone call and I, I get it almost every engagement I've ever had. Uh, then we work on leading with your peers because again, we wanna, we want to both make an impact really quickly and second, we want to have fodder for how are you and, you know, where is your competitiveness? Where is your lack of self-esteem? Where are you self-conscious? Where where is the being on a team of leaders reflecting back to you your lack and how are mm-hmm. you acting with it? The reason we do leading the, the team third is because there's a ton of leadership courses on, on uh, leading your team. There's plenty, there's plenty to go to, to learn how to be a better leader for your team. Now we work on that because that center of gravity and the, 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 the the things that I use for leading up and leading across work with leading the team being grounded being centered being interested in people you know learn learning you know uh, you know we build an empathy map for everybody in your organization you know what are their hopes what are their dreams what are their values what are their triggers what you know what where are they trying to go all that stuff when you learn that about people now you you've increased your ability both to influence and connect with the, with those people. And then, lastly, we go to leading yourself because now we're left with a whole array of the world reflecting back to us how we interact in the world, how we're being in the world. Now we have something to work on for for yourself.
0: Hmm. Well, empathy map. I gotta gr- grab onto that because that was um, that's a very interesting thing. Let's let's start with the leading up. So what is it you're helping this person do in terms of being more effective? And let's just say the CEO, it's whatever, whoever their um, boss is, but let's just assume for the moment, it's the CEO, because I think what you're about to share is so relevant for anyone in an organization who has a boss that needs to understand. and, And you're right. There's lots of leadership material for leading your team but not so much for up. And so I would love to have you share what, first of all, what are some of the struggles people have with dealing with their CEO? What what are some of the obstacles and how are you helping them develop this empathy map that you referenced that makes that relationship
1: better? So if you're a fast rising leader, you probably have some confidence or maybe some cockiness. You know, you've been successful. You've, you know, you've gone up through the ranks pretty quickly and you're pretty full of yourself. You probably think you can do the CEO's job better than she or he can, right? You probably have, you know, you, you probably have, you know, you have a vantage point of the company and the inner workings of the company sometimes that the CEO doesn't. So you think you know better than they do. So the first thing I do is kind of right-size them to understand that the ceo is the ceo for a reason right the second piece is often ceos are absolutely wonderful amazing people but also if you're going to be in a fast-growing company the personality type for someone to become a ceo of that organization is going to be pretty tough right they're going to have personality quirks they may be a visionary with add right they're wonderful they're amazing but if they're a visionary with add you know, they're going to be spouting out projects and direction and all kinds of stuff. And they're going to need people on the team to hone that visionary in to the projects that they can actually work on, right? So you have to be able to speak truth to power, but you have to be able to speak truth to power in order for them to hear it. You can't say no to your CEO. You can't say no to your boss. So what I teach them is to say, you know, we can actually do that, but it will impact X, Y, and Z in this way or we'll need these resources, or we won't be working on this, or these are the, you know, we could do that, but these are the pitfalls that I see. So let me know what your decision is. Now now you're a partner with the CEO instead of being, uh, you know, kind of a roadblock. Because the CEO doesn't want to hear no. I I remember when I was was talking to, uh, we were doing, you know, when we we do the 360 interview, I'll meet with my client and then I'll meet with the CEO and we'll have a conversation about the coaching objectives. And one of the one of the coaching objectives was learning how to say no to a visionary boss, and this boss was again an idea machine, just constantly, you know, tripled the company. So of course you want that person at the helm. But the problem was that uh, when when she came to that person, the no was too harsh. So I said I'm teaching him how to. Uh, say no to you. And I, that was a slip of the tongue. And I said, I didn't mean no. I said, and he's, and she says, no, don't, don't let him ever say no. Uh, Cause that you know, that guy, that stressed her out. I said, no, she's going, he's going to, he's going to present you with options and let you know what the impact of your decisions are. And she was like, that's perfect. That's exactly what I need in order to be able to make decisions. So that's the kind of thing that we do. The boss mm-hmm. empathy map actually uh, when I, when we were creating the course, and we were just sitting and taking notes about what it is I do with a client. The first thing we do is we check out. You know what is the CEO dealing with? You know what what are the what are the pressures? What are their goals? What's the vision? What are their challenges? You know what who who's a challenge person on their team? Because every CEO has someone on their team that's not rowing in the direction that they need them to row, right? What does the board want them to do? What are the mark? You know what do you not know about your boss that they're dealing with? that you need to know in order to know what the whole person is. Now, you know, what, what triggers that, right? If you know that, let's say, let's say we do Enneagram, uh, which is a personality test and we find out that their personality, their personality is fear-based. So the boss rages when they're in fear. If you get caught up in the rage, there's nothing you're going to be able to do. You're either going to fight back or you're going to shrink when someone's raging, but if you understand that the rage is coming from fear, or or, or lack of control, or whatever is behind that, because again, anger—I believe anger is a secondary emotion It either means sadness or fear. So if that if that's happening, if you can figure out what they're afraid of, and you can watch them calm down when you come back to them with, "Oh, so what you're actually upset about, you know, is X, Y, and Z. Is that what is that what I'm hearing? Yes." Now they're feeling heard. Now you can have the conversation and you can bring them down. But if you're reacting to the anger, you're screwed. So you, you got to get conscious fast and it's your job. If I was coaching the CEO, I would say it's their job not to rage. I'm not coaching the CEO. I'm coaching you. So, you know, it's your job to either quit or learn how to deal with it. Mm
0: -hmm. That's great. So the, I love this with the empathy map. So the idea is to really try to see things through that person's eyes to understand everything they're dealing with. So you're not coming at it just from your personal interests and you know, what you want, but understanding what kind of approach and response is going to help you both get what you want. Is that more of the idea?
1: That is a um, much more articulate way of saying (laughs) what I just said. Yes, very much so.
0: (laughs) That's
1: why I I hang around with you.
0: (laughs) Well, I was just thinking, I was actually having a response in my body as I was listening to you, thinking about somebody raging and how if we take a different approach instead of fighting back or withdrawing and simply listening and understanding what's behind it, you know to me mark what you're saying in this approach of understanding the boss first it's still raising the awareness of the individual so you're really working in parallel
1: on their own development do i have that right you ha- you you now know the secret sauce uh, <laughs> one one of the things i tell people is you know if you can get grounded and conscious uh we can we we can just a lot of our behaviors will fall down like dominoes if i can get you grounded and 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 conscious in any given situation you'll be in relationship your creativity will be available to you you'll you'll be better in every single situation so i say we can play whack-a-mole with your behaviors or we can work on how you're being in any given situation and if we do that right you'll you'll you know you're in better shape the other Mm -hmm. piece the you know the other piece to that is, you know, you're also raising the consciousness of the person you're talking to. If you can get grounded and centered and you can help your spouse get grounded and centered, your child gets out grounded and centered or someone at work. Now, you know, you're helping get to a, to, to resolution faster.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about the peer Leading with a peer group because that can be a challenge because the competitive nature of people that are rising fast and and so how do you help them view these peers in a more from a more collaborative spirit than from
1: competition? I know it's funny. I get I'm getting some crap for people who are get, getting advanced copies of the book. Uh, I, I call it the fine art of coopetition. <laughs> uh, ah. meeting on a group of peers is co-opetition, And the pushback I'm getting from other coaches is I, we really want this to be a kumbaya. We really want this to be a synergistic thing. We want, we want this to be a healthy team. And of course I want, that to be a healthy team. I want everybody rowing in the same directions. I want everybody caring about each other. It's just not realistic. If you're at that level in any organization, it means you have ambition. It means you have ideas. It means that you you have some drive to you. So if you're gonna be in a room with other people, acknowledge that first, that you want your idea heard, right? And that the other person wants their idea heard and you're competing for, for some of that, right? So once you once you put that at the tip of your sword, once you put that forward, now you can pick and choose how you want to be. Then we, then the thing that I do that's sobering is, so let's just say you want to get promoted. Okay. Do you want to get promoted and be the person who says, oh my God, I can't believe that brown noser got, you know, that brown noser got promoted or that person did this to get promoted or that? Or do you want to be the person who everybody points to and goes, absolutely, that's the person who should get promoted? promoted? Do you want to create a support system when you're the one who gets elevated? Who do, which one do you want to be? Because that, that starts now. How you act on this team, how you deal with your drives and ambitions and, and, and your triggers and all that stuff is what's going to happen to you know, when you get that promotion. And that sobers people up pretty quickly. They're like, no, I want to be the person that everybody supports. But great, let's start on that now. Oh, I I just think that's so powerful because what you're doing is helping
0: them think ahead, you know, consequences. Yeah. You could do that in the short term and feel pretty good about having said that, done that, gotten away with that. And yet is that person going to be in your corner when it comes time to backing you for this promotion? I think that's great. What kind of pushback do you get from folks when you are, or do you get any, do they buy into this pretty quickly because they see the wisdom of what you're sharing with them?
1: Again, it depends on the personality type, right? So if you have a personality type who is really, their motivation is, you know, their deep fear is being out of control, right? Then you have to, you have to coach them that way. If another person is, is more uh, about harmony and connection and don't, doesn't speak up enough. You have to coach from that direction. So the, the pushback is usually the wrongs that have happened to them in the past and why they are the way they are or why they have to be doggy dog in the first place. And it was, I had a conversation with Mark Crowley, who you interviewed and introduced me to. And, and he said, you know, you really want to blaze your own trail do you really want to be buffeted about by how other people are being or do you want to be the kind of person you want to be and have that reputation i loved that that he said that uh so again i'm i'm ch- trying to teach people to be uh the person they say they want to be and mm-hmm. anybody who hangs with me and most of my clients you know renew over and over again most anybody who hangs with me knows i'm not going to stand for cutthroat you can you you know, you can be Steve Martin. be so good that you can't be ignored and you don't have to push anybody else down. I want you to be the most supported person on the team. Mm-hmm.
0: So again, this whole idea of getting someone to work effectively with their peers is also a self-development aspect because they have to look at themselves. and again, like you said, how they want to be in that situation and how they want to be perceived as well
1: it's I was just not- talking to one of my clients who was someone was driving him crazy on the team and it was a new addition to the team and he's like he's just not a fit he's not the cultural fit he's like and then he, and then he says now how do i know if this is him or it's me and i love that he asked the question like just asking the question that's a place to start because mm-hmm. the truth is it's both right He's not a cultural fit. He's, you know, he's this way, that way. And where is it triggering you, right? Mm -hmm. It's triggering you. Now we have something to look at.
0: Mm-hmm. Because if it's triggering
1: you, it's it has nothing to do with him. He's just mirroring something back. So now we can do the work there, and that's what I love about this. If you're you know if you're in a group, of are you're, you're going to be triggered. Your fears are going to be stepped on. Your pri- you know, I'm I'm not. You're going to feel disrespected. All that stuff. You're going to feel left out. All the all the things that are on the playground, you're going to feel in the boardroom. Uh, so how do you you know? Again, we don't have to do leading you. At the end, we do it right there when you're triggered by someone else on your peer group. And how do you, instead of attacking, instead of slinking away, instead of uh, handling it in an unhealthy situation, how can we grow ourselves up and go handle it in a manner that's going to be productive? Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, it seems like these are all working in parallel because when you're coaching someone, they're dealing with all these different areas all the time. And so it's fascinating When I think about them leading a team, especially for someone who has been an individual contributor for a long time and not been in that leadership role, what are some of the things that they struggle with letting go of or acquiring in that role of being a leader to others?
1: Well, the first thing is they probably got promoted for being better than everybody else at that particular job. And now their job is to oversee other people doing the job that they were really good at and possibly not do it as well as they do it. That's really hard for high achievers to let go of that and to know that it's going to take time and coaching and teaching and et cetera, you know, to to help people get up to the level that you need them to be. The other acceptance things I've heard several times uh, in some of my interviews uh, is, you know, if someone can do that job 80%, now you have three people doing that job, 80%. You now have uh, you know, 240% more capacity than you doing it alone. Uh, so you can actually coach them up. But the, the doing, getting their hands off of that is the first. But the second is once they start to delegate and when they get really good at leading a team and the team's running really well, I hear this almost every time. So what's my job? Like, what do I actually do that ego thing of if I'm not doing, I'm not actually contributing any value leading leading doesn't have the same cachet and value to the, to the ego. So we have to kind of adjust how they feel about those things uh, and, and get their self-esteem from different places, from seeing other people succeed to Mm -hmm. know that they're, you know, and when, when their people get recognition to know when their people get recognition, that is recognition for themselves, right? Those kinds of things are really hard for the ego to deal with. Mm.
0: That's such a good point. Well, you know, you mentioned coaching a number of times, and that seems like such an important aspect of someone in a leadership role. And yet, from different organizations where i've talked they're just inter- many of them are just introducing this idea of manager as coach you know that that hasn't always been accepted it was more managing the things the projects that were getting done as opposed to really developing the people and do you find that at all in your work that that's a shift that these leaders have to make that as part of their role, and what they're supposed to do now is be the coach and encourager
1: of others. It's one of my kind of kind of ornery ad, admonitions of people. It's like you don't do your job. You know, you know, you don't lead people in spite of your job, or lead people as a side thing to your job. Your job is leadership. Leadership is not easy. It takes a ton of work. It takes patience. It takes training. It takes creating agreements over and over and over again, right? It, it, it takes so much work to coach. So I think that a lot of, a lot of people are giving uh, lip service to manager as coach because everybody's so busy. But the people who actually embrace it and realize that that is now my job, And, uh, and learn those coaching skills from, I think, you know, you have a book out on how to, how to create a culture of coaching, right. And you give a step-by-step on how to do it. It just takes time. It's kind of like food, right? We know we should be eating salad for dinner, but the frozen pizza is easier to throw in the toaster oven. The salad, you have to take it out of the refrigerator. You got to chop it up, right? You got to put it in and you got to do all these things where the pizza, you just throw it in the oven. That's what leadership is. Leadership is chopping up the salad, washing all the vegetables, putting it all together and having something healthy, substantive and sustainable. Uh, So, you know, I think people want to I just think they're busy and it takes a lot more work than anybody ever thought.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned a word that I think is so important, which is agreements and a lot of times we have these unspoken expectations or we think we've been clear in stating what we expect from someone i would love to hear your distinction between an expectation and an agreement and the difference it makes in how things get done
1: my my definition of agreements versus expectations is you know our mutual friend steve chandler uh, has a has a wonderful take on that Basically, is is if you do not create strong agreements, expect to be disappointed. At best, maybe someone will meet what what you decided you know to have happen. But most of the time, you're going to be disappointed. Having explicit agreements and and stating it, and again, if you have a teenager, you understand this. And right? you have, you ask a teenager to go do something, and they don't do it. And then you ask a teenager to go do it, and they agree to it, and they don't do it. And you say, "What happened?" They said, "We never talked about it." So with my teenagers, what I did was, well, actually, one teenager was way more responsible than me. The other teenager, uh, I actually wrote down what we agreed to and had him sign it because you know there was no memory. That's creating an ironclad circuit, right? Of we agreed to this, we agreed it, it's going to be happened this way, and you know we you know we now both agree. You, you're not going to have someone that works for you to sign that. But you can take that extra effort. Again, this takes extra effort. Throwing the pizza in the oven is the expectations. Creating agreements is creating the salad, which is, okay, so this is what we've agreed to. If you're not going to meet that, what we what we agreed to, you agree to come to me and let me know that, right? And and you, you close that loop. Once you close that loop, now you have much more of a chance to have things work out.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you say to um, a leader you're working with who may push back about agreements that it's uh, it's hard to get people to commit or something else where they just seem to be disappointed a lot at the lack of completion or fulfillment of what they thought was an agreement? How do you help them get through that to understand more clearly what, what it really means.
1: So I actually had this happen with a CEO and his, his team was just not hitting goals, not, not, you know, finishing projects that they said they would finish. And this was happening over and over again. Uh, So I had him look at his own agreements with himself. He said he wanted to exercise four times a week. Are you exercising four times a week? No. Uh, He said, he said, wanted to eat a certain way. Are you doing that? Right? So we went down the list of things he wants for himself and agreements that he's breaking with himself. That how are you with your people? And what I know about him is he's always late to meetings. I said, so you're late to meetings. You know, Are you keeping agreements with your people? So we started working on keeping small agreements for himself. I said, you know what? This is going to happen like dominoes. The moment you start keeping your word to yourself, your people will start keeping their word to you. And didn't happen. (laughs) It did not happen? Nope, didn't happen in this particular instance because again, couldn't keep his word to himself Uh. for those things. Now, fast forward another six months of our coaching and something happened where he had to shift, right? Things happened in the business, things happened in, in his life and he actually started keeping his word. He started going to the gym. He he started everything we talked about. He actually, something happened so that he had to keep his word. The company is running so differently right now. Uh, It's really amazing to watch. Uh, I was right. You know, if you're not keeping your word to yourself and you're not keeping your word to them, don't ever expect them to keep their word to you.
0: Mm. That is such an important point because, you know, it's so easy for us to look out at this other person and what they're not doing instead of, again, looking at, where am I not being consistent or doing this? One of the other, I just love that example. And I remember you giving another one, and I would love for you to share this, about the um, person you were coaching and all you asked him to do was observe how people responded to him. Would you share that? I just think it's so powerful because it goes back to really working on self in the context of, affecting your team?
1: I have this conversation so often that nobody's going to, you know, everybody, everybody's going to think it's them. Uh, so I often get asked to coach bulls in the China closet. I often get coached to, you know, asked to coach people who um, are rough around the edges and really uh, are great at what they do are actually really good people, but just kind of, de- they, they, they do damage to relationships to, to be, to be frank. Uh, and I can't get them to, because of the personality types and you and I know about per, when you're in a person, you have a personality type, you're kind of in that water and you don't understand a feeling person, uh, and, a, a thinking person. Like if you have a statistics person, that kind of, you know, heady, heady math person there, every time you ask them how they feel, they're going to tell you what they think. Right. So you getting someone to understand something that's just not in their realm is really hard. So when I have an, I'm at an impasse with someone like that, and they, th- they say, my relationships are fine. And that's what I always get. My relationships are fine. Uh, and, I, and I've done a 360, and I know their relationships are not fine. So just when you, when you go into work this week, your only homework is to walk into a room, take a deep breath, and just pay attention to how people are when you walk in, when you walk into a meeting, uh, when you walk by people do people stiffen up? Do people relax? Do people light up or do they get quiet? Like what happens around you? And almost every time it's so confronting. They're like, I had no idea that this is how I affect people. And I don't have to do any more coaching because, you know, because they just, they change. Uh, I think it was Byron Katie. I I think she said it, but, you know, people really knew the effect they had on other people, they would change. If you really knew you hurt another person, you wouldn't do it. So when, when people get conscious that way, uh, I, I just watch them shift. So they just they don't want that around their world.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you hear them report back? I'm curious, what kinds of things have they noticed and picked up that have that kind of impact on them that they... Want to change at that point?
1: Uh, People stiffen. People quiet. People give me one-word answers. Uh, You know, people people leave the table. You know that that kind of thing, and it's 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 varied. But you know, some of them I'm really impressed that they can see. You know, it's very hard when you're just going about your day to day to notice people stiffen around you. You really have to get conscious. Mm-hmm. To notice that, especially when you've never noticed that. I'll notice it because I'm codependent, right? I, that was my safety growing up. So I notice every how people breathe around me, you know, a look, all that stuff. Most, a lot of other people, they don't notice that. So getting, I'm always impressed with how conscious people can get really quickly. Mm. That's so
0: interesting. And to me, it it speaks very much to the trust they have in you, that they're willing to do that. And not push back. I would think, well, I'm just curious. How do they respond when you give them that assignment?
1: Usually they go, that's it. That's the only homework. That's the only homework. It's not as easy as you think. (laughs) Oh,
0: I just love the work you're doing. And I would, um, ask you to think about with these four different aspects of leadership, what have we not discussed that you feel like is a thread that you see a lot with clients that may be useful for my listeners to consider or think about in their own leadership?
1: I, th- I think w- one of the threads is that we often work on and argue with and deal with, um, how we think things should be rather than how they are. They shouldn't act that way towards me. This shouldn't have happened. You know, the, and you know, that's a very typical coachy kind of thing is, you know, you know, Byron Katie, again, when you argue with reality, you only lose 100% of the time, right? So the boss shouldn't yell at me. They shouldn't be that way. They should be more emotionally intelligent. They you know, they're, they're in a leadership. Yeah, I can't change that. Do you want to quit? Or do you want to learn how to work with it and actually become a trusted advisor so that you know how to manage that? You know, those are your options. Uh, if you want to stay and be miserable, I can't help you. Right. But that's, oh, it's also with your people. Like, Oh my God, these people don't do this and they don't do that. And they don't, blah, blah. Okay. You know, do you want to be a leader? Or do you want to go do something else? Because if you want to be a leader, there's certain things you're going to have to do. Uh, so, so, when you, when you deal with reality, when you deal, when you stop arguing with how it's supposed to be and deal with how it actually is and how do you need to change? What do you need to do in every given situation? You get a lot of power and a lot of energy back to deal with the situation. You know, uh, for me, like, like I had, um, I'm, I'm traveling the next two weeks and I had the dates wrong on something. And I had all these uh, appointments just stacked on one of the weeks because I was doing so much traveling. I stacked this week and there was some interviews on my podcast with people I was just dying to get and I screwed it up. Uh, and I, my, I had the wrong dates and I can't back out of my trip. So I had to go send emails to all these people and say, can we move the 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 uh, appointments? And three days went by, four days went by, and I still haven't sent the emails out. I'm just dying inside because it was so hard to get these people to schedule and all this stuff. And finally, I sat down on my computer, put my headphones on, my ADD music, and I banged out the emails. And response after response came back. Of course, Mark, this happens. We'll we'll reschedule. We'll do this. Ten minutes worth of work. Everything's handled. The schedule is completely cleared. Everything's fine. I spent so much energy on the catastrophe on how dumb I was for like, I, just all that energy instead of saying, okay, this is what happened. I'm going to go handle this again, because I'm subjective, right? Anybody else can look at my life and my, my situation and go, of course, you could, you know, just send out the emails and, and then handle this. I would tell somebody else to go do that But when you're subjective you have all that monkey mind going on with all that stuff. So that's what happens with leaders. Is there so much monkey mind going on with your relationships, with your peers, with what your boss thinks of you, with what's going on with your, th- you know, if you just stop and deal with reality, it changes everything.
0: Mm. That's so important because again, it goes back to our own beliefs, our own self-management, if you will. Because once we raise that awareness level and we are more conscious of reality, no matter who it is, we can respond more appropriately. That's such an excellent way to kind of wrap up what we've been talking about. And, you know, your example that you just gave reminds me of, um, I'll just share this real quickly a call I had this week with someone that we have regular calls. <clears throat> And she was saying, "Oh, I've got this icky situation," and I'm listening her to, to her describe, you know, who's her ideal client, and then who this person is. I said, "That doesn't sound icky to me at all. It sounds like a gift that they're not working with you because they're not your ideal client to begin with." And it just shifted, you know. It, it helps so often to have an outside person help us look more broadly. At it because we get down in the weeds. We get so involved emotionally with what's going on, like you were judging yourself, and yet it was like you were immobilized and couldn't take the actions that would relieve <laughs> that discomfort that you were having.
1: Yeah, it was and, so outsized. It, all and of and it. again, I have a posse of people who I, I talk to because I want to get out of my monkey mind as soon as possible. So as soon as I share someone like that, something like that, they'll yeah. say, okay, go send the emails and call me back. Done. Right. Yeah, that
0: th- what you bring up is such an important point that we need the support system of people who can call us quickly on things when we get bogged down or caught up. Mark, I love the work you're doing. I appreciate so much the impact that you're having on the leaders you work with, but not just them, their families, their teams, their bosses all around the um The wonderful impact you're doing because of your own life journey and all the things that you've learned and the gifts that you're bringing now. Can you please share with people how they can connect with you and learn more about your Rising Leaders program, podcast and soon to be book?
1: everything is at markjsilverman.com mark the letter j silverman.com and i'm just now fighting for the rights of the risingleader.com i'm still working with a broker to try it. someone someone owns that who's not using it so i'm trying to take it uh the next cohort is may 17th it starts on the may, may 17th it's a, it's a 14 week program for leaders and uh, the podcast everything is at that at that address
0: that's great well i highly recommend to my listeners to check out mark's program because He's put so much of his hard-earned wisdom into that program, and it makes a real impact. And I want to thank you for scaling your business in that way so that you're able to have greater impact with more people over time. Mark, I've loved our conversation. Thanks for being with me today. Thank you, Meredith. Thanks for tuning in to my podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com and check out our two books, Connect With Your Team and Peer Coaching Made Simple. While you're there, download the free facilitator guide to find out how to implement our unique peer coaching system. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell.